0: Lord, we pray that today as we do something a little different that you would still bless us as we take this history lesson, as we look at the text of your providence, Lord, of what you did in the life of Martin Luther to restore the gospel that we might know Jesus today. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' great name. Amen. So here in Romans chapter 1, Paul is quoting actually from the Old Testament. He's quoting from a, a little book called Habakkuk where the prophet then and Paul at the time is also rejoicing that the just, that is, those who've been made right with God, shall live by faith. We say that so often in this church and in churches like us, that the just shall live by faith, that we're justified by faith alone. It just rolls off our tongue. But that little phrase containing that huge promise was not always so easily understood. That little expression right before it, that says the righteousness of God is revealed had been argued over by theologians and scholars for hundreds of years before Martin Luther. Is it the righteousness that God himself possesses and then he shows it to you, most often to scare you, or is the righteousness of God revealed? Is it the righteousness that God actually has and then he actually gives, he reveals to those who believe? And in those two questions is the gospel. So we're going to look at that by by looking at three things. The first thing we're going to look at is the righteousness of God revealed in the religion that Luther knew. So Luther grew up in, he was a product of medieval Europe. It's a world that we can relate to very little. Medieval Europe was a mixture of paganism and Catholicism. It was a world that was inhabited by mermaids, elves, dwarves, dragons, nymphs, all that stuff from Narnia or Lord of the Rings, they thought that stuff was real, they really did. All of those creatures existed, they could steal things from you, they could cause you pain, they could even trick you into committing horrible, horrible sins. Pamphlets were all the new rage in the lifetime of Martin Luther because of this new fangled information superhighway called the printing press that had been invented. And the best-selling publications were guides on how to avoid hell. We think in the modern world that we invented gratuitous violence, but no, woodcuts, car- intricate carvings made on wood, dipped in ink, and then put on this new thing called paper, these were all the rage. And two of the most popular ones were graphic, graphic, horrible pictures showing hellish torments. One was... Um, uh, it, was, it, it showed fiends or demons surrounding a dying man, tempting him to deny the faith so he would go to hell. The other was called Jesus the Judge, and it showed Jesus sitting upon a cloud, sternly growling, glaring at people, while fiends and demons were ripping them out of their graves and dragging them down into hell. Later in his life, Martin Luther would testify that that particular picture of Jesus terrified him for the first half of his life. And the medieval Roman Catholic Church played into these fears. Hell was filled, they said, with people who didn't live in enough fear. People were taught that they were destined for hell from the very beginning because of original sin. And that the only way out was to run to Mother Church. Not to hear the gospel, but to partake of the sacraments. Two of which they got from Scripture, five of which they invented. But even that could not guarantee salvation. When it came to the righteousness of God in our verses, the Roman Catholic Church at that time taught there was a disagreement in heaven. God the Father was holy, high, exalted, and always hacked off. He was ready to come to earth every moment and just kill everybody. He was sick of our junk. Were it not for His more merciful Son, Jesus, who would calm Him down. However, Jesus Himself would occasionally... Have enough of us as well. He'd be ready. Let's do this, Dad. Let's go kill them all. But he would be calmed down by his mommy, Mary. But you couldn't talk to Mary either because she was so high and exalted. So what you had to do is you had to pray to a dead saint to beg them to plead your case to Mary so she could then plead your case to Jesus, who could then plead your case to God the Father to not kill you. It was a ladder of merit. It was a ladder of effort and, and you couldn't just go talk to these saints. You had to impress them. So you'd better come bring some super duper religious effort. You better have made a big contribution to the church. You better have suffered for your sin somehow to impress these saints who would then go tell Mary how impressive you are, who would then go tell Jesus how impressive you are, who would then go tell God the Father how impressive you are so you shouldn't kill him today, maybe tomorrow. They believed this stuff. It's easy for us to sit here and, and, and laugh at them 500 years later. Just as surely as you know in the depths of your being the world is round, they knew this was true. Your whole life at this time was spent trying to earn enough favor to get out of hell. Or if you couldn't quite do that, maybe you could be really good enough to get only a short stint in this kind of like holding place called purgatory that was better than hell but you still didn't want to go there but just forget about going straight to heaven nobody was that good again to quote from Roland Baton the author of Here I Stand arguably one of the best biographies of Martin Luther he said this like everyone else in the middle ages Luther knew what to do about his plight from beginning to end the only secure course was to lay hold of every help the church had to offer sacraments pilgrimages and indulgences Oh, there's the word, indulgences. How many have heard the word indulgences before? Raise your hand, please. Okay, cool. Indulgences, yeah. So the church taught that occasionally there were some cats who were so good. These guys were so excellent in their life that when they died, they not only were good enough to go right to heaven, there was some surplus goodness left over. And so God gave that to the Pope, who could then give it to people. It was called the surplus of merit. It originally started to, give, uh, to reward crusaders who would go off to fight the crusades, but then it became a tool of church finance. If somebody was like, Yo, you know what? There was like really low overhead on an indulgence and a really good rate of return. We should use this stuff. It became a tool of church finance. In Luther's day, indulgence salesmen were in the town square of every town in Europe. Because the church in Rome, you might have heard of this, was involved in a little building project called St. Peter's Basilica, and they needed cash. And so all across Europe was heard, when the coin in the coffer clings, the soul from purgatory springs. You could buy your your relatives way out of purgatory. You give your money, and the Pope would then take some of this merit and use it to get your relative out. It was later that Luther was like, "Uh, excuse me there, uh, If you could do that, why don't you just open up the gates of mercy and let everybody out? Why do we got to pay you for that? And the Pope, you know, faked the cell phone call and left the debate. So anyway, yeah, you're not the only one who does that. So remember remember that printing press thing I talked about, That, that new information superhighway? Well, with it came increased literacy all across Europe, but... Here's a a little crazy thing. The church at the time also had political power, and they would not allow the Bible to be copied by the printing press, nor would they allow the Bible to be translated into the vernacular, the various languages of Europe. So the only Bibles available were handwritten copies in Latin. And the priests could read Latin, but the people could not. And so you not only were not able to read the Scriptures for yourself, You were not allowed legally to read the scriptures for yourself, so you couldn't look through and be like, I can't find indulgences in here anywhere. What's up with that? You couldn't do it. So everybody just went with what the priesthood said. This is the religion that Luther grew up in. This is the religion Luther knew that everybody knew. God was an exalted, absolutely holy, pure judge, and he was out to get you. You had to work to overcome your sins. You had to do enough to please him this is what the medieval church taught as true religion, as Christianity. Is this what Paul means when he says the righteousness of God has been revealed? You could see this high, holy, scary judge, and so you better tremble and believe. Is that what he means? Well, Luther grew up thinking that's what it was. And that led to the righteousness of God revealed and the failure that Luther felt. So adding to this view of Luther, of, of God as the harsh judge, it was There was this medieval view of humanity as well. This mic is really giving me trouble, you can tell. So, the burning question was this. And it still is a question today. How can a person like me, who I know myself, I am riddled with failures. I am very far from anything called holy. How can I be in the presence of a holy God? How can I do that? A great example of this tension is Luther's first mass, mass. After he vowed to become a monk. He did, in fact, go through that process. And at the end of that process, he got to lead his first mass where the sacrament happens. And remember, the Catholic Church believes that Jesus is physically present in the bread and wine. Remember that scary woodcut Jesus the judge that scared Martin Luther? That guy was standing right next to you when you did the mass. And so during his first mass, having said the words that makes Jesus magically appear, Luther froze. He couldn't go on. He was terrified because he's in the presence of Christ, the judge. He later commented, commented, looking back on this, all men should tremble at the presence of an earthly prince. Who am I that I should lift up my eyes to the divine majesty himself? He was so aware of his sin. He was so aware of his lack of goodness that he was undone at the thought of Jesus being right there. Another monk had to come and finish the service. He couldn't do it. See, the righteousness of God had been revealed to Martin Luther, and it broke him. He couldn't handle being in the presence. Because Luther was under conviction for his sin, and he could find no relief for it. The religion offered to him was not sufficient, and it was not because he did not try. He was a monk, which was a very good start at that time. And he tried to be the best monk that ever was. By his own testimony, and I love this sentence. How fun is this? If ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. He did a man. He was like all in being a monk. He was always trying to compensate, even overcompensate for his sins. But he could never get that balance sheet to work out. He would go to confession for hours confessing every little sin because he was being theologically consistent. If God is sinless and pure... And he demands that from you, that you must remember your sins, confess them, be absolved from those sins, and then you're clean before God in that moment. So Luther would leave confession, he would finally feel righteous, and then he would feel proud of himself, and he'd be like, oh no, I'm convicted of pride, it's all undone, and go right back into confession. He eventually became a professor of theology at this new invention called a university, He would then go to the local church there in Wittenberg where the university was and he would confess for six hours at a time. The priest there finally got so tired that he yelled at Luther, quote, if you expect Christ to forgive you, come in with something to forgive. Patricide, blasphemy, adultery, instead of all these little things. See, Luther came to realize through this process that sin is not merely what he did. It was who he was. He was a sinner who then committed sins. The whole of humankind is corrupt by sin, he realized. And so the confessional system fails because sin is not just what you do and confess. The biblical picture of sin that Luther was able to read for himself was that it is a power that enslaves people, it's a corruption of our entire nature, and what you need is to be set free by a higher power not just gut it up and confess it all. The whole person needs to be cleansed. And so is this then the righteousness of God revealed that we utterly lack righteousness and so we are undone in the presence of God because of our sin? If if, if, if such righteousness is then something that we have to earn through our efforts, why is Paul clearly rejoicing in Romans 1.17? He's not lamenting, he's rejoicing. How is that something to rejoice in if it's revealed and you can't do it? It's like, ha ha, you're too short to get it. How is that happy? Well, let's look at the final part of the story the righteousness of God revealed in the Savior Luther found. So here's poor old Luther. He's caught between a frightening picture of a holy God and a careful understanding of his own heart. And in God's wonderful providence, Luther, the theology professor, is quoted to being a biblical professor and he has, to, he has to teach on Psalms, on Romans, and Galatians to university students. And he had to work really hard Some of you know that our story, what part of our story is that we homeschooled our fourth, first and oldest child all the way through. And as she was going through that process, Nikki and I helped teach that, and so we were in this group called Classical Conversations. We host one here. And um, during that time, we were uh, the equivalent of um, seventh grade teachers, eighth grade teachers, and then I, I at one point was a 10th grade teacher, and I was even an 11th grade teacher in this system, and there was lots of Latin, and there was lots of Shakespeare. And I was by no means an expert, and I had to spend lots of time studying just to stay one lesson ahead of these very smart homeschoolers. And schoolers. And that was Luther with these university students, okay? He had to study hard to stay ahead of his students. He had to study so hard. He had to get into the biblical text for really the first time in his life. And that's in the study of God's Word. Not in a dream, not in a vision, not in some saint revealing itself to him, not in some mermaid giving him a sword. No, what happened is he studied God's Word. He was laboring over these two verses, Romans 1, 16 and 17, when it happened. Luther himself says, quote, "...I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's words." But the phrase, the righteousness of God, always blocked the way because he saw it as he had been trained. The righteousness of God revealed was God's character pitted against humankind's sinfulness and our inability. He saw Romans 1.17 as demanding that people produce a righteousness, which he knew he could not. And he lamented, how is this good news? And of this struggle, Luther said, Here's what Luther said. Listen to this. He said, I did not love a just and angry God. I hated him. Yet I clung to dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Did you catch that? Luther said he hated God. Oh, non-Christians here. Maybe you have non-Christian relatives you talk to or friends or neighbors. If you have issues with God, if you can understand You're not going to raise your hand, I know, but if you can understand, yeah, I understand hating God, actually. Chances are it's because, like Luther, you think you're supposed to jump through hoops, that God demands the impossible of you, even mocks you, saying, do this when you can't do it. That's why Luther hated God, because he had the wrong picture of God. He had the wrong instructions. In God's providence, Luther was an Augustinian monk. St. Augustine himself, 1,100 years earlier, came to the same struggle with his own sin and the holiness of God. But the church then had not been imprisoned under the superstition of medieval Catholicism. And so Augustine had access to the gospel, heard the gospel, received Jesus Christ, and was delivered from sin. And it just so happens that Luther is a monk who has those teachings. So he has that in his order, and he's studying God's word, And this is a key point that needs to be said to make sure people misunderstand this. The Protestant Reformation was not an invention of something new. These men wanted to protest error and reform it out of the church. Luther was one of the key people helping restore something that had been lost. but He was by no means the only one. This was a process that from start to finish took over 300 years, coincided with what secular history calls the Renaissance. God moving to bring people back to original sources and truth. And so as the secular scholars are saying, go back to the original sources, so too reformers can go back to the Bible. And God used that to bring the truth of the gospel into the modern world and birth Western culture. So Luther, as a professor of Psalms, was studying the Psalms, and he came to Psalm 22.1. If you've been around church a while, you know this one, Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Obviously, the words of Jesus on the cross. And Luther had to ask the question, hold up, how can Christ, the high, holy, scary judge, ever be forsaken? He's too powerful. He's too big. He's too mighty. Why would God ever forsake him? And then Luther realized through his study of Romans, wait, that Christ must have taken on some iniquity. Jesus must have taken on His people's sins and in that moment when He Himself was sinful, He was forsaken by the Holy Father. That means that it is on the cross where mercy and justice fuse. Luther realized that the righteousness of God revealed in Romans 1.17 is a righteousness given to people on the basis of faith. That in His mercy, God makes people right with Him. He reconciles us to Himself, and He is the source of that righteousness. It's not our efforts. It's not money to buy in indulgence. The source of righteousness is Jesus Christ Himself. Luther realized what Paul teaches here, that on the basis of faith in Jesus as the crucified and resurrected Lord, God credits His own righteousness to us. We are therefore perfectly righteous in Jesus by faith. Romans 1.17 And it is something to rejoice over. Luther says, quote, I imme- it imme- This immediately made me feel as though I had entered through open gates into paradise itself. And now, where I had once hated the phrase, the righteousness of God, so much I began to love and extol it as the sweetest of words. Because Luther went on to say, quote, If you have true faith that Christ is your Savior then at once you have a gracious God. For faith opens up God's heart that you should see pure grace and overflowing love. This it is to behold God in faith that you should look upon His fatherly, friendly heart in which there is no anger nor ungraciousness. He who sees God as angry does not see Him rightly. See, Luther, her scripture finally saw that salvation from sin was the gift of righteousness given to people on the basis of faith. It was not earned in acts of contrition. It was not given out at confession by priests. It was not purchased with an indulgence. Rather, it was purchased by the life and death of Jesus Christ. It was given out by the Holy Spirit in the call of the gospel freely to all who believe. Now you, nor your neighbors, nor your co-workers live in a world inhabited by nymphs and dryads. And, you know, There's that one or two Lord of the Rings, and I'm one, and I get to call us that, who kind of wishes, but no, we know they're not there. They're not real. But we do live in a world that still teaches us that you've got to jump through hoops, and you better keep jumping through hoops. You better work hard. You better earn. I would ask everyone who has a bulletin, when you turn to the inside cover, This very first quote by Dane Ortlund. Look at this. What, What does he tell us? There on page two. It says, The only alternative to the real Jesus is to get back on the treadmill. The treadmill of doing your best to follow and honor Jesus but believing his mercy and grace to be a stockpile, gradually depleted by your failures and hoping to make it to death before the mountain of mercy runs out. How many of you default to that? Yeah, I was saved by grace, but now that I'm in, I better keep earning. I'm not a good Christian. Better keep on this treadmill of being religious so Jesus won't get too upset with me. See, the human heart is wired for law. We're wired to earn God's righteousness through obedience. And so we struggle to believe the gospel, just like Martin Luther, just like his entire generation. So the righteousness of God revealed to you is that God Himself in Jesus Christ created the righteousness you need, earned it, and gives it to you for free by when you confess faith in Him. Do you know this gospel? Do you rejoice in the righteousness of God given to you for free in the face of your failures, in the face of that amorphous guilt that follows you around in life? Jesus Christ lived the life you should have lived to take away your shame. He died the death that we should have died in our guilt to take away our guilt. And he rose again from the dead to defeat death and to bring you into God's family. All of that is available to those who believe. That's biblical Christianity. Perhaps you've always thought of God as distant or angry. Come to the gentle Father who punished you Jesus so he wouldn't have to punish you. Perhaps you've always thought you had to earn God's favor or at least be better to make him like you. Come to the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ alone. Perhaps you think you're too bad beyond saving. Come to the Savior who died for all your sin. Now, for those of you who know this Savior... Let this brief excursion into God's providence remind you that this gospel is so good. God's righteousness given to us at Christ's expense. What an amazing salvation. Oh, rejoice in it. And for those of you who don't know this gospel, you can have it. Place your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, even now, and the righteousness of God will be revealed to you and in you. Now let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, your gospel is too much. It is so good. Lord, we thank you that we can read the book of your providence and see the testimony of your gospel. And we're grateful, Lord, that half a millennium ago you led men and women to see the truth, to speak the truth, suffer and even be killed for the truth that so we might have the truth today. Lord, so we pray that even now you would once again help us to believe that Jesus Christ alone is all we need. Those of us who already know you that keep trying to impress you instead of trusting in Jesus and those here who don't know you who just feel guilty and shameful and want to believe would you show them that Jesus is the father of your We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Yeah.